0: this episode is made possible by our generous patrons welcome to the ink to
1: film podcast where we read the book and then see the movie I'm James and I'm Luke and this week we discuss Alfonso Cuaron's 2006 film children of men film to be watching around July 4th, the Independence Day of America. (laughs) Uh, To our American audience, our American listeners, we hope that you had a good 4th of July. Absolutely. Uh, We took a week off. Uh, We just had some craziness going on. I was getting back from a trip out in the woods. We were up in the mountains in the cabins and stuff, and uh, 4th of July looming and everything. We figured that we should should take a few days in order to uh, give the best possible product for this film.
0: Yeah, I mean this this movie deserves uh, all the attention we
1: can give it. It's a brilliant movie. It's aging like fine wine, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, and and like I was saying, like what a film to be watching around in like Independence Day. It's just right. I don't know. It it's really it hits it hits home more now than it did when I first saw it, and and it's you know it's kind of getting harder and harder to watch.
0: Uh, yeah, this movie was chilling, and this was right around the time that uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez had just visited the border um, with some other lawmakers, I believe, and a lot of the conditions were being reported of the border facilities, right? And I remember seeing and reading it on Twitter and seeing these camps and, and what the conditions are like, this deplorable, and then watching this movie, and it just was like... I don't know. It's one of those times where art imitates life, life imitates art, and you know, in a disturbing way, because there are some scenes in here um, that are harrowing of of these refugees um, trying to get into uh, the United Kingdom to seek asylum, and there's just so many parallels with what's going on right now all over the world, but also in particular in, in this country. And um, yeah, I just think it's a it's a movie that. I think people should revisit. If you haven't seen it in a long time, like me, I hadn't seen it in many years. I I recommend going back and rewatching it. Not only that, the technical brilliance of this movie, combined with its message, combined with everything else, and where I'm at now in 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 my life, I think uh, this movie has rocketed towards the top of my favorite movies list. I wouldn't say it's number one, but it's. It's you know in that murky area where it's really hard to to pick. It's it's right up in there, probably in my top ten, maybe even top five.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's incredible. It's just stunning filmmaking, and and like every great film that's get that gets made, it's like a miracle that it came together and the way that it did, and that it exists. Um, some in some way, like through sheer force of will from from Alfonso Cuarón, and yeah, just to get back to like how harrowing it is to watch this, and and just think about like. With it being with it taking place in Britain and like Brexit being something that's happened in, in recent yeah. memory and and talk of immigration and and like people seeking refuge, it just I like Alfonso Caron saw this stuff coming clearly. He's like he was able to understand like this is how people are, and you know, maybe the majority of the media or whatever isn't talking about it, but like this is what we're heading to. And you know he couldn't have actually known a hundred percent, but it seems like he was he was onto something. Well,
0: also I think this was going on then too. I don't think this is anything new. I think I think uh, immigration has been a problem for a long time in the developed world where you have these superpowers who have um, countries that are safe and that are um, something that people would love to be at when they're country is war torn and they're in danger and there are people murdering each other and and their fear for their families' lives and of course you know you're going to get refugees trying to come in and then that's always been a political thing you know like how to let them in whether or not to let them in what to do with them once they're in the country Um, and these are all discussions that I, I think have been ongoing for a while and just the the more that there's a separation between the safe like first world countries and the countries where there's just rampant violence and, and stuff to escape like that, um, you're just going to see more of that going forward. And I think that's what Quran was touching on. Like if if something goes bad globally, um, then that's just going to be exacerbated, right? Like it's going to be mm-hmm. a lot more of – and it's like the f- th- we talked about this in the book. It's the fear of we want to keep what's ours and we don't want to let anyone else have it. And that's always going to be at odds with humanitarian efforts, Of wanting to you know help other people and and the way that that's achieved is through dehumanizing people and convincing people that um refugees and them are not worthy of asylum and and assistance and that all comes through in the film and i think is really important
1: and i think it was it was really smart of Caron to take the story that was kind of from the perspective and and theo still is somewhat from the perspective of somebody who's like of the upper class or, or yeah. more upper middle class, but to take it and have key be the, the, you know, the savior, like the one who's bringing the continue and like really bring it into that immigrant story. Uh, yeah, he's privileged. I think was right? like, exactly. But, yeah. but it's like to bring it, to bring him rather than Julian, who was also someone who is seemingly privileged in the book to have right. key a refugee. Um, yeah. I think that that really brings it to that level of, of really like, bringing the perspective of the story down to uh, the everyday people that are being affected and less about like the bureaucratic, like, you know what I mean? It was with Theo and, and um, what was his his cousin's name? It was just very, it seemed like a lot of bureaucratic stuff going on. And it's like, he took it more to like this like grounded level where it's affecting like everyday people and, and just seeing the atrocities that are going on. Then the, like you were saying before, just the idea that like people who are in the privileged first world countries, as things get closer to them, we're we you know I'm not saying America was clearly doing some things that were that were not good in back in two thousand and six and and many of the other larger countries were as well, but the uh, the idea that there would be Immigrants or refugees in in cages in America, yeah. Um, which you know it had been it's not something new like it had been done in World War Two with the Japanese and everything. But yeah, I just mean that it's it's just horrific to think that history would repeat itself and and then it would the future would look so dystopian.
0: Yeah, it's happening now, and you can see people on Twitter. Um, you know, and, and we totally did not think that this was going to be timely in any way, right? Where we I had no idea, but sure enough you look on twitter and there are people showing screen caps of children of men beside real pictures of the detention camps on our borders and sometimes they look very very similar and it's really disturbing to see speaking of you mentioned the book a little bit and and i think there is a difference here in in that attention to the refugee crisis um, while it was present in the book and it was definitely one of several things there was also this whole deal with uh, an island that had been converted into like a penal colony and then the quietest there was a lot of controversy about the quietest being like an enforced suicide and so there was several different fronts on the political spectrum that the fishes were against um, but in the film it seems a lot more focused on the refugee cri- crisis which I think is smart because it can make it like a more clear um, message versus a book where maybe you have time to explore more things. Although you know, arguably, maybe the book didn't explore any one of those things um, as as cleverly and as and as interestingly as as they do in this movie.
1: I mean, we've talked now a, lot, a decent amount about how, just from a story perspective, it's really interesting the way that Corone was able to craft this. But you mentioned just like technically. Um, this is is just like a filmmaker or like a student of films dream of a film, Mm. right? It's just like, it's got everything that you want. It's all got all the cool flourishes and the really subtle, moments and and it it's able to like it's it allows itself to breathe but also some of the some of the most tense filmmaking i've ever seen her in this movie and then the one obviously the wonners the one takes are yeah. th- like some of the best of all time and uh, it seems to me like
0: they weren't as big a deal until after this movie like this movie is at least where i became more aware of how uh Important winners can be in a film and how impactful they can be and how much everybody seemed It was like up up in arms about how great it was and it was something I never really paid attention to maybe that's just where I was at when I saw it, but um, It seems like now that's a thing people are kind of emulating even more
1: I mean, I'm not gonna say he wasn't like he didn't have an impact on on people who saw You know young people who were coming up and, and became filmmakers who are now making films Um, But it was definitely like, I mean, Spielberg is super famous for for Warners and and has been for for decades. Mm. Um, But, you know, maybe that like like you're saying, like that new school feeling of of a Warner and and maybe he brought about like some some sort of resurgence or something. But I want to talk in in particular
0: about how the Warners in this film were affecting me. And I'm going to be curious to know if like that's just how all Warners are or if that's like a specific thing for this movie. But um, I think we should get into those, like, as they arrive in the summary, right? Yeah. So we don't lump them all together too much. So before we get into the actual synopsis of the film, uh, we do have a little bit of housekeeping. We are coming up on our 100th episode. This is episode 96, and if everything holds, it's going to be one month from now. We're going to be at episode 100, which is pretty bonkers. It's crazy <laughs> that we've done this that many of
1: these things. I mean, yeah, it's incredible. I a hundred. when I think back to how much time we've we've spent doing this, and and I mean, it's been a joy the whole way. It just, it just, I can't. It's really a, a monumental amount of <laughs> amount of uh, content and and like interaction with people, and it's just been such a journey.
0: Yeah, and there's been a lot of great experiences along the way. We're definitely going to talk more about it in that hundredth episode. Um, but the housekeeping is that we want to, we really want to engage with you guys as much as possible. So we're asking for our listeners to send us recordings. Um, we want you to use your phone or however you want to do it, but on your phone is an easy way to do it. It's a voice memo. Uh, usually it's an app on your phone and just record, uh, about a 60 second clip of you, um, telling us either your favorite adaptation Uh, a book that you love that you wish would be adapted or an upcoming adaptation that you're excited about and explain why. And if you do one of those three things, send it to us and we're going to collect a bunch of them and put them in the episode itself. Um, And that can be a fun way to interact with everybody and give us something to talk about. Um, I think that'd be really cool. So hopefully you'll uh, take us up on that. We'll we'll have more details on social media, like how to do it, where to send it, exactly what we're looking for, that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, we're trying to make this like a a big celebration and and we're we're also going to use it as a as a way to look forward and and kind of see what the next 100 episodes are going to bring.
0: Yeah, because we do last looks at the end of the year. So, we don't need to do a last looks here. What we want to do is look forward into what's coming next. And in that in that same vein, um we're also going to be doing a promotion with our Patreon and that is that all patrons who are act- who have signed up by August 11th, which is 1 month from this episode releasing. We're going to give you a token for our uh, ink to film jukebox that we have, which is probably an overcomplex <laughs> uh, method of 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 uh, having people commission podcasts is essentially what it is. And um, everybody will get a token that usually is reserved for our $25 level. So um, instead, we want to give one out to everybody and you can take that one token and put it towards a project that you're excited about that you hope that we do. If we that project gets enough tokens, um, and they all have uh, prices at, uh, associated with them depending on how many weeks they are, um, then that basically means it moves to the very top of the queue and we'll do it ASAP. It's unlocked. Um, if it doesn't quite get as many votes because you didn't get as many people um, on your bandwagon voting for it with your tokens... Then we still will consider it as a as, as a project that people want, and it will move towards the top of the queue, right? And then um, one of the cool things is if if we do a project that hasn't been completely paid out, um you actually get your token back and you can use it again on another thing. So it's pretty complicated, but we have we have it all laid out in the rules on Patreon. Go check it out if you're interested. But the cool thing is that even the lowest tier patron, is going to get a token, um, and that's going to be to celebrate our 100th episode, because we really want you guys to affect this podcast going forward, and we thought that'd be a cool way to get uh, a lot of input on what we're going to do going forward. Did I do a decent job of explaining that at all? <laughs> I feel like it's complicated.
1: <laughs> I think you nailed it, yeah. We, we did okay. kind of make it a little complicated, but <laughs> I think that I think that it's going to be a cool way for people within the community too, to kind of uh, team up and, and get projects that they are really yeah. gunning for. Uh, it's a virtual
0: token. It's not actually something physical you get. You just let us know, hey, I want to put my token towards this project.
1: <laughs> what we're saying is it's a Bitcoin and you can invest in it and then eventually we'll see a huge spike. It'll hit $20,000 a coin.
0: Invest in Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, so yeah, uh, we'll, we'll talk about it more in future episodes leading up to the hundredth and on social media, we'll have it, we'll have more breakdowns and you can feel free to ask questions and we'll, we'll fill you in on it. But yeah, that's the gist of it. Uh, we're excited about our hundredth episode and it's coming soon.
1: Okay. So I definitely want to talk about Alfonso Coron before we jump into the summary here. Yeah. Um. One, one of my favorite filmmakers. I mean, it's like, I, I say, you know, I say one of my favorite movies, I say one of my favorite filmmakers, I say that a lot, mm-hmm. because it's so absolutely impossible to, to try to like, say that something's not your favorite when it's so good. Um, so he's, I mean, he's incredible. He's, he's directed, some of his most popular stuff are It to Mama Tambien. Uh, which is um, kind of something that skyrocketed him into being able to do a lot of these films. He's also known for directing Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban in 2004. Cool, which we, we will be covering that at some point
0: here pretty soon, I think. So that's exciting yeah. to know we'll be returning to him.
1: I mean, it's just like it, I, it's so cool that they were able to get such an absolute legend of a filmmaker to to direct a Harry Potter movie. And I have a lot of thoughts on that movie because of that. Um. I mean, uh, and then in recent history, he had uh, Gravity and then Roma, which last year Roma had a, a ton of uh, critical acclaim and won awards and is also just an incredible film. Uh, and Gravity, which which was a huge sci-fi movie at the time when I feel like there was kind of a lull in sci-fi movies around mm-hmm. like 2013 or so, uh, which also had a lot of critical acclaim. I need to see more of these movies. <laughs> So uh, Alfonso Cuaron is a Mexican film director, screenwriter, producer, cinematographer, and editor. His work has received critical acclaim and many accolades. He has been nominated for 10 Academy Awards and won five, including two Best Director Awards for Gravity and Roma. He is the first Latin American director to receive the award for Best Director. He has also received Academy Awards for Best Film Editing for Gravity and Best Cinematography for Roma. So, I mean, he's... I mean, clearly decorated very consistent very yeah fantastic filmmaker he he was born in mexico city and then went to the national autonomous university of mexico where he studied philosophy and then later filmmaking Hmm. where which notably he also met fellow director carlos markovich and cinematographer emmanuel lubezki which we're going to talk about lubezki because he was the cinematographer on children of men oh wow they have a very close relationship, and it's really cool to see like the trust that went into the film, and and uh, there's just so much to talk about with like kind of the look that they were going for, and the amount of detail that they wanted to squash into, which we've kind of r- talked about in the past so, episodes. But so,
0: just as a quick aside, I'm, I'm I know a little bit, but I I feel like I don't fully understand, and I, I want you to see if you can help me. What okay. all is comprised? in cinematography when you talk about that like what because when i think of that i just think of like how a movie looks maybe like um i don't know does that include sound design is it purely visual is it shot selection is it more like uh the consistency of colors and stuff like that like or is it all of that i don't know i feel
1: like i mean other than audio you hit like basically everything the the so the easiest way to say what a cinematographer is responsible for is anything in the frame so the cinematographer is like the right-hand man of the director and he works with. But it's not is, is he
0: choosing what shot or just like how it's shot? Is there both. a distinction I mean, between he that? could be
1: the the director, he and the director are basically like two two heads of a of a, you know, hydra or something mm-hmm. and they basically uh work together to get the director says this is what I'm looking for and this is what I want. The shots have been definitely talked about usually on the like much before the day, but you know the director has a vision, and he says this is the look that I want. This is kind of the the um, shot, kind of the, the what I want to tell with with my with my camera placement, with my camera movement, with the color scheme, with the the lighting, and all of these things. And then the cinematographer is responsible for executing that, or recommending, or giving suggestions to the director and bouncing things off each other. So when I say like everything in the frame, we're talking about like the cinematographer meets with the design like production design to make sure that everything on the set looks looks you know within within the director's vision uh, every down to every little cup every everything that's and we'll talk Mm -hmm. about this as well some of the cars on the streets and things like that that's all responsible the the cinematographer has to make sure that that is exactly as it needs to be Mm -hmm. and then yeah color lens selection the lighting um it's all it's it all goes through them and and they delegate out a lot of this stuff because you know you have your camera operators you have your gaffers for lighting um so it's just them it's a whole chain of command that basically the director and the cinematographer are, pu- are pushing down the chain in order to get exactly what they want on screen so it sounds to
0: me like uh he's um, what was his name again the cinematographer
1: emmanuel lubezki
0: okay so it sounds to me like he is perhaps yeah you know, almost as um Influential in the way that these one-shot takes ended up um, How they looked and how they worked in the film like that's not just all quran. That's also also emmanuel
1: Right, and and the thing the thing about quran is that he's he's a little different than your typical director because he's also a cinematographer he's also an editor so he has experience in these departments and i'm sure that somebody like coron would be the type of director who would pick up the camera and and try to shoot some stuff Mm -hmm. um which typically you want your camera operators to do their job and shoot the thing they need to do maybe this maybe the dp or the cinematographer um will pick up the camera to shoot some things but it's it's definitely in terms of like his influence it's absolutely he's he's vital to a lot of this and, and a cinematographer may get in an argument with a director and say, like, this is your vision, but this it doesn't look right. We need to do this to make right. it look better and make it look like we have. There's a very specific story about one of the wonders that we can talk about um, that kind of comes back to this.
0: OK, cool.
1: Something that I love to talk about with these this director and, and two other famous Mexican directors, uh, Guillermo del Toro and Alejandro Iñárritu. They're, they're like the best of friends. And like, I just love that three Mexican filmmakers in, in, have just taken Hollywood by storm and have just like consistently created the some of the most like decorated films and just, they are just like bastions of, of creativity right now. Mm. And I just think that's so cool because I love all three of them. And anytime I can, I get the, the, you know, the excuse to mention how cool like the trio is, I, I do. (laughs) that's awesome man I guess the last thing I would say is just like just as an interesting perspective um, Roma although I've heard different opinions and different stories on it Roma is like semi-autobiographical so if you wanted kind of a look into like Alfonso's childhood and like his upbringing and the kinds of things that he saw you can watch Roma and get like kind of a cool picture and then bring that into this immigration story that he was telling With children of men. Not that he's an immigrant. I believe he's just a Mexican citizen and always has been. But clearly he's, you know, sympathetic. Yeah. I mean, clearly he's been sympathetic towards like Mexican immigrants coming into America and some of the Mm -hmm. treatment that's been going on. And then also, you know, immigration across the world. But with that being said, I think we should move into the synopsis.
0: Yeah, I'm ready. But but first, uh, I did want to mention that PD James has said that while this movie is very different from her book, That She is proud to be attached to it and that she's proud of the adaptation and is a fan of it So I I think that is important distinction because obviously this is very different from her vision, right her book, but um I like to see that that even though it is different. She stands behind it
1: Yeah, and we talked about how how she wrote this so late in her career it's it's cool to see that she's like willing to you know what i mean because we i mean i guess the typical story to go to is just like stephen king's reaction to the shining Mm -hmm. um which arguably like stanley kubrick's the shining is a like a landmark film for horror and everything and just i feel like stephen king wants to back off that statement a little bit how he's talked shit about the shining adaptation so much but at this point he can't (laughs) just because it's like it's really cool to see although it's not exactly what you wanted it's really cool to see somebody else's take and and i mean what a great adaptation So in 2027, after 18 years of global human infertility and depression, the world is on the brink of collapse and humanity faces extinction. The United Kingdom, one of the few nations with a functioning government, is deluged by asylum seekers, fleeing radiation and plague. In response, the UK has become a police state as the British Army rounds up and executes immigrants. Theo Farron, a former activist turned cynical bureaucrat, is kidnapped by the Fishes, a militant immigrants' rights group. They are led by Theo's estranged wife, Julian Taylor.
0: Yeah, let's stop there because I want to talk about this opening scene, which is just incredibly good. Um, it's it starts off with one of my one of my favorite TV tropes, which we've talked about in the past, and that's the newscast um, that's showing like a roundup of news and talking about different things that have gone wrong and and how that can like it's definitely a trope, but I love it.
1: I mean, it's effective, right? It's, it's effective. It's, yeah. It's, yeah.
0: It works, man. It tells you where the world's at, what's going on in, in the news right now. Um, yep. And then and then we get this scene in the, I think it's a coffee shop, and we see Theo, who seems to be the only one who isn't really that affected by the news of baby Diego's death. Um, and, the, and all these people are sad and, and, and reacting to this news, and he walks out and he goes down the street, and then it explodes. And um, I, 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 is this a one I mean, it feels like it, it's, it's a very cohesive scene, at least.
1: Yeah, I... I I'm like 95 to 90. I think I'm not like 100% sure that this is a winner. Um, or a large One part of the of shorter is. ones. Yeah, yeah, one of the shorter ones in this movie, if you can believe it. How, I mean, even just that shot required so much. I, I, it's amazing. But it's this, like you said, this first scene is so effective at just setting up the world right away. Like yeah. he, the idea and this character. Theo is, is, he does not care about what's going on. He's clearly yeah. very jaded. Is Disaffected. Is disinterested. Just, yeah. Yeah.
0: And we see the random violence, too, right? Like, the, the explosion just feels so senseless and just out of nowhere and brutal, yeah. too. Because, like, we see... And, and the camera has this moment where it runs back towards... Like, it leaves Theo and runs back towards the shop. And you, the woman comes out, I think, holding her arm. And um, that was such an interesting choice to have that, where it's very clear that you can see the, like, movement of a f- on-foot camera person, like,
1: carrying the camera towards it, Right. You're removing the audience from from our main character, obviously, right? Like mm-hmm. we're we're distancing ourselves. He's, and that's that's something throughout the movie. It does feel like we not. Times, as, yeah. Oh, it does that a lot, yeah. And it, but I feel like um, it, it's it's effective in two ways. It makes us feel. I mean, we feel close to Theo, but we don't. I don't feel nearly as close to Theo as I did in like the book because it's so close to his perspective. It's weird because like in some ways I agree, in some ways I don't. Because at
0: the same time. There are times where I feel incredibly close to him. Um and, and we can get to him as we go, but there's a couple scenes I can think of where um it feels like we're stuck on his perspective and we don't get what you would usually get in other films where you would get um other perspectives. Instead we're it's like there's two perspectives in this movie. There's Theo's and then there's um like a like a like a third person cameraman who maybe has a slightly different um <laughs> agenda because he'll turn and look at the refugee line and follow it up to the building where they're throwing all the shit out of the building he'll do that even though theo walks past right so it's almost like he has a slightly different agenda but it's like you other than theo we don't really get like other characters perspectives very much
1: yeah and it makes like his his character consistent right like if he stopped to look at this stuff then clearly he would be more interested than he's supposed to be but instead he looks away yeah and it also does a great job of just showing like we like it's showing us what we want to see as the audience because clearly the world around them is falling apart and it's it's this story is so tight and it's so like streamlined yet there's so much going on in the background that it it, like makes it we want to like live in this world and understand it more but it's all it's all background
0: yeah and and before he gets picked up by the fishes we also get him on the bus Uh, writing out. We see the background, like you're saying, playing out as he's going past. We see people throwing stuff at the, at the, I think it's a bus or a train, um, throwing stuff at it. And um, we see scrawled across this, like, I think it's a train car. It says last one to die. Please turn out the light. It's just like, it's great world building. Like we talked about, it's brilliant world building. Um, because you know, coming into this movie without the no- book knowledge, you don't know what the hell's going on. You don't know what the world looks like, and this is showing you it so so quickly. You see the refugees. We see them in cages. You see the police and their and you know and their sort of um, their you know their riot gear and their their dogs that they have, and it's just like things are bad and things are bad
1: yeah. from the get go. I we talked about before how it's a miracle that this this movie exists in the way that it does and it's so interesting to me how this happens because so many films that are just seen as complete masterpieces barely by the skin of their teeth got done whether it's like a shot that they needed to get that day and they, that was their only shot of getting it or whether it was just everything's falling apart around them but somehow they just like power through this movie was was hit by a lot of different production woes many of them being like the the studio didn't believe in it as much as like they it's just it's wild like like in order to to achieve alfonso's goal and his his vision it was we're going to require a certain amount of money but the studio gave them you know whatever budget and they kept going over so they had to like some people were lying about the the money how much money they were spending and Mm -hmm. like it was really insane how this all went down but another interesting production thing that happened when they were going to shoot this this scene where the bomb goes off in a London, you know, coffee shop, mm-hmm. there had been bombings, like multiple bombings from terrorists throughout London earlier right. that week, or something like that. Oh, geez. and basically th- the government was like, "We can't have you setting off even for a f- movie setting off like fake explosions right now. It would cause a panic. But there's something about like how they agree they they decided to, give him one shot at it and say like we're going to honor this agreement for your movie and you know because you know movies bring in a lot of a lot of money for a certain for a region as well right so if they gave him one one shot at it and they they were able to pull it off and just the idea that like so they only got one shot at that explosion yeah and and the amount of stress the amount of stress that must have been on him to pull this off and to get everything done in one go you know i'm sure they had rehearsal time but the actual explosion they had to do it once in one. That's crazy. And there was like so many things going on like Alfonso got there and Like it didn't look how he wanted it to get, look and he's like, well, I can't I'm not shooting it Because basically what he didn't want was to shoot something and then the studio forced him to put it in the movie And so he was so stuck to his his artistic vision that he was willing to be like, well, then I'm just not gonna shoot it I would mm-hmm. rather not shoot it than have something bad shot and, um, basically I guess there's something, the cars lining the streets weren't, didn't look how they needed to look. And they were, and Corona asked like, which one of these cars do we own? And they pointed out the ones that they owned. And then he just like took sticks and started like whacking the cars and breaking lights and all kinds of stuff. And like wow. he, and then he went and marked, they, he, they were like, we can also just like touch it up and with CGI later. And he went down every single car down the street and put like a red X on it so that the, they would have to like CGI that out and make the car look better. Just like really, really intense like <laughs> filmmaking process and and I th- Coron said like this is one of the hardest film he's ever made, and just like everything that could have gone wrong was going wrong around them, and then you see this film, and you're like, you would never know that because it seems like it's just like a master filmmaker so in a in a very calm environment, making exact decisions as he wants to, but everything's just like chaos around him, wow. Well, before also before uh, Theo gets picked up, we are introduced to Jasper
0: for the first time. Um, we even see him go meet his 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 friend Jasper, which is very different from the Jasper in the book, and I thought it in interesting ways because Jasper in the book is kind of reprehensible in a lot of ways, whereas Jasper in the movie from the jump feels like this this like beacon of of like goodness and and okay, this is somebody I can like. He's immediately telling jokes. He's playing happy music in the car with him, right? and he's mm-hmm. just like he stands out so much in this world right and he seems like we're all friends with him immediately we we like him we want to be friends with him and uh and it's michael kane and it's michael kane which is it's great you know and and he, and, and a, what a great performance from him very different from what he usually does but so so very good and i just love that he is a political cartoonist like a former political cartoonist and so we see that he uh, has like activist beliefs, and and he's not just like a like a silly guy. Like he he is actually um, someone who's put it out there, right? And like we see from the clippings on his wall that he has gotten in trouble, um, been arrested for the things that that him and his wife have done. Um, really really cool
1: stuff. Everything's endearing about him, right? Like he's like he's so anti-establishment with with mm-hmm. this like full-on like basically fascist situation that's going on, and he's yeah. just like. Still able to keep his his optimism and, and like whatever joy that he's is. He's got his
0: pot farm.
1: Yeah, it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's just such a great character, and and a welcome change. Like you said, yeah. it was like I, everything's so serious, and then you get this guy saying "pull my
0: finger" and telling fart jokes and stuff, right? Like it's 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 such a stark difference from everything else we've seen up to this point.
1: Yeah. So Julian offers Theo money to acquire transit pa- papers for a young refugee, Key. Theo obtains the papers from his cousin. Theo agrees to escort Key in exchange for a large sum. Luke, a Fish's member, drives Theo, Key, and former midwife Miriam toward Canterbury. They are ambushed by an armed gang, and Julian is killed. When the group is stopped by the police, Luke kills the officer, and the group hides Julian's body before heading to a Fish's safe house. Okay, so that covers a lot.
0: Um, one of the things that, backing up to when they first pick picked Theo up, I found um, sort of chilling again, once again, is they, um, and I don't even know if I believe them, but they say that they don't bomb anymore and that the bombing that we saw at the beginning of the film was actually Britain's own government bombing its own people and then blaming it in sort of like a false flag scenario on the fishes to make them seem more brutal than they are. And we certainly learned that the fishes are not, um, are not this, like, beyond reproach organization, um, but that's really scary, man. And that's that's the kind of shit that, like, if that ever starts ha- happening, and maybe it has, I don't know, but, you know, to not go down the conspiracy wormhole, let's just say that it's not happening right now. Um, if that ever does start happening, that's some really scary shit, because
1: that's when... Well, like, that's... The, you, don't, the, you can't come back from that, right? Like, the government can't come back from that.
0: You cannot have tr- any trust in your government anymore if they are, yeah, like, blowing up their own people and then blaming it on resistance fighters and so forth like that it would be full revolution like gone. you would yep. be
1: fully overthrowing your government in every way and setting something new up. and i think it's interesting to, to put that idea in here because i think
0: that says like this isn't just you know what i mean like that shows the level of how far things have gone in this story to where we can we, we can we can get behind the idea of an uprising even more um and this this fish's group by the way very different from what we got in the book like these this is a big organization they're, they've been fighting the government. They are armed. They are scary. And they are not something to be taken lightly. Whereas in the book, it was much smaller and
1: possibly ineffectual. Right? Well, it seemed like it was much more like upstart. It was like they didn't have yeah. anything set up, no resources. And this is like very organized, like ready to, to revolt.
0: We also got uh, Chuitel Ejiofor. Am I saying that correctly? I say Chuitel Ejiofor of four. and yeah. Charlie Hunnam is in this movie.
1: Yeah, um,
0: from like Sons of Anarchy and later um, Pacific Rim, right? Um, right. You can, but like you, you can't. He's almost unrecognizable. First off, he's younger, but he's also got these big dreadlocks. So, yeah. Um, and he's actually a, kind of a fairly important character throughout. Um, and I, I thought it was fascinating how how he almost never in the movie gets like a close up shot. Like he's almost always shot from away. I think the closest we get is this moment where um theo tells him his breath stinks which i thought was really funny um yeah and he's like no it doesn't <laughs> um but like beyond that we don't really ever get a close-up of him and i think it was really interesting the scenes he's in later it almost makes him scarier because he's always kind of viewed from a distance
1: yeah and what's cool about him being viewed from a distance is he's so distinguishable because of those dreads right yeah like as from a production standpoint you're gonna make a guy like that, like, oh, that's the Dread guy, and he's coming, and he's scary. Um, Also, the cousin, I think we should mention
0: at least, um, him having, like, the statue of David, and, like, this giant Picasso um, is is filling the wall in in his, I guess, where he's living with his family, Um, and uh, the idea that they're just collecting all of these, like, worldwide art pieces and just, like, taking them all and putting them in Britain, Um, there's something very colonial about that, right? And and, and not cool. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely. like, you're preserving it in one way, which I get. But then on the other hand, it's also like Britain's like stealing all of these. these. But it's also, pieces, right?
1: it's not even like Britain. It's like private collectors. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like he, he's got it in his own place. And it brings up the idea. Like he's like clearly privileged and, and rich enough to be like away from all of this. Like he's in oh, yeah, a. When he's so, driving
0: so, in, like there's there's like did you, I mean out the window and I, just out the window in general in this in this movie. It's so brilliant how you're, he's, you're always looking through a window out at something, right? So many times. And you Mm -hmm. see all these people on the like lawn of this area. Like there's people playing like classical music, you see zebras getting pulled along and like all this stuff, right? Like it's so, it's so like poodles, like it's, it's bizarre.
1: Yeah, it's pure escapism. Like he's there, like he's not dealing with any of the things that are going on, yep. um, and he's just going to hold up and and live in his privilege.
0: And people having parties, right, while 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 if refugees are getting murdered. So yeah, yeah, it's saying something for sure. Um, yeah, all right, man, let's get to that. Let's get to the movie scene because it is it is quite a brilliant brilliant scene.
1: What's what's so interesting to me about a lot of these wonders that he has is they start so. Um, so small, like so unassuming and they, you know, they're, they're not starting with anything grand. They're starting with something really small, something like he's in a coffee shop and he grabs some coffee, walks out and you're like, Oh, this has been one continuous shot this entire time. I wonder if something important is going to happen here. And that's definitely what happens in the car here. Like by the time you realize that the cameras, yeah, by the, by the time you realize the camera has been rolling for so long, it's like, you've just been like spending time with these characters and it is kind of quick. Um, and I think like repeat viewings of the scene really give you more, you know, appreciation for it, definitely. But just from a purely from a technical standpoint and just a creative standpoint, this is an impossible shot to pull off. It just is not like if you as a director, when Alfonso went to Lubeski or or anyone else involved in the production and they he said he wanted to do this i'm sure that they were like that's impossible
0: now is this one because i know and and like ultimately i don't care first off let me get that out there but i know that there are some hidden cuts in some of these quote-unquote one -er shots right um i think in the one later especially there's a few cuts but ultimately i know that they're comprised of several very long shots and it, it it's still incredible like it's a magic trick sure but um i'm not mad at being fooled at times is this one that we're talking about here actually all one shot or is there hidden cuts
1: i think there are hidden cuts in it but it's there's not many you know what i mean right. it doesn't that's the thing like people are like oh there's hidden cuts in it it's not a one it's it's still mad like it's in order yeah. to pull it off it's like with literally to do it without any sort of like fake cuts or or like any sort of like hidden cuts is is would be physically impossible you know what i mean like there's there's things going on i think i want to say that basically like where the a cut comes or or some sort of cg moment i think is basically just when like the car flips or the sorry the motorcycle flips Mm. and and like the guys fall off I want to say that that's the only thing that was done in any sort of like doctored way. But I'm, there may be like a hidden cut in there. Although I don't know how that would have been done. I don't think... I honestly think most of it is is a true one. Whereas the next one, there's some hidden cuts. Mm-hmm. Most of the time with hidden cuts, you can kind of... If you're looking for it, you can see like, oh, they they like went across like a dark wall or something. And like yeah. there's a cut in there that you just can't see. But still magic. Um, so the, the just to talk about the scene starts off they're like flirting sh- shooting the ping pong ball back and forth into their mouths um really' just like a character moment built into yep. this like incredible incredible shot. You can see that that theo's starting to like feel have feelings for Julian again and there's something sparking there and you can see where it could have turned into the book story where Julian is actually yep. the pregnant one and something like that but as they get closer they see the car the flaming car come out and cut them off and that from that moment on just all hell breaks loose and the way that they pulled this shot off was basically they had a rig through the roof and it had like an arm on it and anytime whatever wasn't on frame the other actors and everything everybody had to be like laying they like they engineered these seats in order to go completely flat so that the, the actors could be out of harm's way of this arm but wherever the camera was going behind it, basically everybody was like laying down and then they uh-huh. would sit back up to be in, in frame for these shots. And then I believe Alfonso, Lubisky and somebody else were all on top of the car on a rig, like controlling the camera and seeing, making, watching the monitors, making sure everything was fine. And then there were actually people laying down that were attached to the outside of the car on the ground, basically, that were like driving the car. It's crazy. <laughs> so... It's like, and and I, I have some information here about kind of how it all went down. Lubesky recruited American cinematographer and inventor Gary Thielkis a mere 10 days before they had to shoot the scene. Wow. Thielkis hurriedly devised an astounding Rube Goldberg-esque contraption that the actors named Doggy Cam. Atop the car sat a massive wedge-shaped container with within which Koran and three crew members crouched, one of them using a joystick to move a camera jammed down through an H-shaped hole ripped into the roof. Drivers lay on go-kart-like platforms attached to the car's fore and aft, one moving it forward and the other moving it backward. From the outside, the vehicle looked like Optimus Prime souped up by Mad Max. Um, so a lot, I did want to say a lot of uh, the inf- this, some of this information can be found in this really cool article that I found on Vulture, and I wanted to give credit to Abraham Reisman, because it's it's it was written i think in like 2016 but he had a meeting with Corone like 10 years after the film was released and they were kind of reflecting on it and i just thought it was amazing to read a lot of the stuff that was in here a uh, really cool article if you wanted to go check that out it's called future shock i think it's the i think it's a new york magazine but it's also on vulture.com yeah i mean just the the, the kind of ingenuity that it takes to create something to to pull off an impossible shot
0: and that's just in the car but there's
1: so much happening outside the car that had to be oh, yeah.
0: choreographed and p- timed with precision right
1: absolutely and all of it is like as they say in the article all of it is like ballet it's like yeah. every single thing has to go perfectly and there's tons of people like running at the car smacking the car the the flaming car had to roll down and hit hit the logs or whatever it hit and then then they're it's just it's unfathomable how how they were able to pull and it And then off.
0: it keeps going and then the cops all go, drive past and then one turns around and f- chases after them and the scene doesn't end until after Luke executes the cops. And right. then the cameraman stays out of the car, it feels like, which I, I don't know how they did that with the rig and everything, that maybe there was a hidden cut in there, but because the cameraman gets out of the car and looks at the cops.
1: Yeah, it was probably, like, detachable from, from the actual uh, rig. The camera probably popped off and they, like, carried it. But still, I, I just, like... To pull that off, he would have had to have like gotten off the car or something and walked away with it. And,
0: and it's weird, too, because once again, it introduces this almost other character who is the cameraman that, for whatever reason, like it sounds like a weird thing to have in a movie, but you kind of
1: have that in this movie, and I love it. And when they, they like linger on these dead cops, they had yeah. killed cops in order to get away, and unnecessarily, so, seemingly.
0: And so I also want to... So all of that is cool, and all of that seems like a movie-making magic trick. And I can see some people going like, yeah, but like, what's the big deal? Like, it, why make it so complicated? What's the point of making it that complicated other than just like patting yourself on the back and saying, I can. Um, and I want to defend it because I think that it, it has an amazing effect on this scene. Because when we were talking before about the closeness, um, it truly feels almost claustrophobic to me watching it. I feel trapped in this car with them while this is happening. And, and as everything's happening, the fact that you don't get a cut, you also don't get like the release that a cut gives you. Cause when you cut from like one scene to the next or just a different angle, there's like a momentary like reminder that, Oh yeah, I'm not actually in the car. I'm watching a film and I get to have like an unnatural change of perspective but when you don't get that and you're stuck in the car and you're forced to see everything play out, you know, you, you see everything go from like the hap- one of the happiest moments of the film to one of the darkest moments of the film. You see Jill- Julian die. You see Theo reacting to her death and then the danger and then, the you know, the, the, the brutality of it all. And you're just fo- you're just forced to watch it all unfold just like anyone else would be in that car. Um, so I think that effect is worth all of it. And there, that's the reason you do a one a oneer like that in this moment.
1: I mean, I hundred I percent agree. I think that there's nothing more immersive than something like that. You you cannot you can't get away. And and like you were saying, like so many f- film philosophers and and people since the beginning of film have been saying. I mean, it, like there's a there's a great editing book called In the Blink of an Eye. It literally in that book, it, it's just the idea of what what makes for for. Good cuts, bad cuts, why do some things work? Why do some things not work? And the idea that, yeah, even if it's an almost imperceivable cut, even if it's like a hidden cut, there's something going on in our brain that might notice it. But if it is a wonder, there's nothing there. It's it's reality to you. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's how you're seeing your everyday life. And and like there's like can you imagine
0: this scene reshot with twenty five cuts in it? You know what I mean? And like another movie. Like you can totally see them shooting a scene like this. And it's so much less interesting. Like it's, it's just impactful maybe is the word I'm looking for. Like you lose so much I think by doing that. And, and to do it this way just, just really makes this just, just stunning. stunning. The,
1: sw- the swiveling around the car too. Just the, uh, the terror that we see in the character's eyes. It's, yeah. You it's, can't see everything.
0: It. You can only see what a, like a person can see. Is the other right. part of that, too, because you're locked into the perspective of the camera, even though right. you feel like there's something going on all around you because you can hear a, it's it. It's amazing too, right? stuff. So yeah. good. We got to move on because there's more scenes to talk about. But man, what, a, what an incredible scene.
1: So Key reveals to Theo that she is pregnant. Julian had intended to hand Key to the human project. However, Luke persuades Key to stay and is voted as the new leader of the fishes. That night, Theo eavesdrops on a discussion and learns that Julian's death was orchestrated by the fishes. Theo wakes Key and Miriam, Mar- and they steal a car, escaping to Theo's aging friends, Jasper Palmer, a former political cartoonist turned pot dealer.
0: Okay, let's stop there. Uh, so this is where we get a lot of religious symbolism, um, which is very reminiscent of the book here. And we, I, I think we start seeing a lot of that here at the the compound with the fishes, right? First off, we get the revelation of Key being pregnant takes place in a barn, um, it's kind of a modern barn, but it's still a barn, right? Which is very we talked about that um it happens in a church in the in the book, but we talked about uh the idea of like the referencing um the birth of Jesus and, and uh even I think it's notable that Theo says upon seeing the pregnant woman, he says Jesus Christ. That's his his line, right? Right. Um and I thought that that was all very religious, right? Like with that the kind of symbolism and, and allegory going on.
1: Yeah, I think Corone has has said as much too. Like he wanted it to be clearly like referential or or similar to like a biblical experience yeah. in in the same way that the book was. But I think he got further away from it. And something that I interesting that I found in my research that I did not know: many of the shots throughout the film are references to like great works of art like whether it's Mm. sculpture or or painting and some of them are also biblical paintings or biblical sculptures and he within is within some of the shots he is reimagining those sculptures or those paintings and that moment with key standing is like this is That is, looks like a painting. I was uh, it's right. funny.
0: I, I was going to say something about
1: that. It was reminiscent of a I can't put my finger on which one it was, but I totally picked up on that. Right. And so he ke- he keeps doing that throughout the movie. Like there's a moment where this woman is like in anguish and her, her kid is like dead in her arms mm-hmm. and that's like a that's like a painting or, or a sculpture as well and i was just so blown away to know that like these are the kinds of wow. things that he like as much as he's referencing like biblical stuff he's also going like another layer in there and throwing in like works of art that he that he is affected by that's so cool um the other thing i picked up on and, and i wanted to get
0: your take on this is we see theo throughout the movie and this is something i did not notice the first time it's only on this rewatch um that all the animals like him that he interacts with like yeah. the dogs all like him, Um, the, they come up to him, they keep coming up to him, Um, the cat's climbing up his pants very like noticeably at one part. Um,
1: mm-hmm. One of the guys even says like, oh, they, these dogs like you, they don't like anybody. Yeah,
0: they don't like anybody, but they like you, yeah. yeah. And then um, him also walking around barefoot and then later having on sandals, like it, I was getting, I wonder if that was supposed to be invoking sort of almost like a Noah, like front, you know. Oh, I don't know maybe um, like a
1: like like the animal affinity yeah because um, like
0: noah eventually like kind of saves the world right in that story and okay, he yeah. and, and he collects all the animals and in a way theo is sort of saving the world here by saving key um you could you yeah. could kind of extrapolate out from that uh,
1: yeah i thought the barefoot thing was a reference to die hard but <laughs> just, <laughs> i love it <laughs> but no yeah. i i definitely see what you're saying the 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 idea I think there was something that I read where they very specifically wanted there to be an animal in like every frame, which is Mm -hmm. also really something interesting because that's a very deliberate choice to work with animals and to have them in every shot. And it's I think it's that idea that like that, like these pets or these animals are like, you know, people say like a dog is a man's best friend and like this idea that like the losing of mankind would affect the animals as well
0: yeah well also i mean uh they all the fact that the animals all like him i think that kind of speaks to like i don't know like the idea that the animals kind of know
1: something that people don't sometimes yeah Um, or it's like if you wanted to see it in in a certain light, you could say that it's like some biblical prophecy or something like he's a chosen person who's who's being like these animals like realize that there's something he's 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 he's
0: important yeah um and then also we uh we see the that's juxtaposed with the multiple times where we look out the window and you see a field with just heaps of burning, like uh, cattle, just like right. the corpses of cattle, and and I think I think that's what they are, and and it just seems like wanton murder of of, of all these animals, um, and, and maybe that just shows like how humanity has lost its way, right? Yeah. Um, what a great scene too of them escaping! <laughs> that was so cool. Uh, the the rolling car escape and it won't start, and it's so it's so tense. And um, I love the brilliantly like sort of sabotaging the cars behind them before they get in their vehicle. And and there's just so many like and there, it's not a oneer. There are there are several cuts throughout this, but it just works so effectively, and, and um, it's it's really good. I think.
1: There's another thing within filmmaking I think that that's important to look at whether. So a wonder is, is you know, the big sexy thing that happens when people are, yeah. and people are like, oh, my God, that was absolutely incredible. It was, you know, it was there for a reason. It meant something. But there are filmmakers who who choose to have wider lockdown shots that are longer scenes. And Corona is definitely one of these guys where like he lets the scene play out. He's not cutting all yeah. over into people's faces and that kind several of
0: several long scenes for sure.
1: Yeah. And so whether whether or not it's a wonder, a lot of this stuff is shot and and part of it is just for for a for a production standpoint a, a like moving walking shot as long as you're not putting tracking down like a steady cam shot is easier to pull off than than like locking down a shot and basically what i'm trying to say is like a longer shot and it seems like it's counterintuitive because you have to rehearse so much and there's so much going on but you actually save yourself time because you, every setup within a within a a day on set uh, takes a really long time because they have to readjust the lighting But if you if you set all your lighting and you set everything up for like a moving shot or like something That's going to take place over a long period of time You save yourself a lot of time on the day and you put wow. more minutes into the movie Interesting um, so like there's pros and cons It is much more difficult to pull off something that's longer obviously because just yeah. shooting Like a couple seconds and cutting to something else in the edit room is gonna is gonna make it a lot easier for you
0: speaking of another uh, scene on the the um, Compound it's when he overhears what it, when we see um, Charlie Hunnam's character, I think his name's like Patrick or something, um, shows up when he's not supposed to, right? And and Theo discovers what's happened, um, and that they they actually orchestrated Julian's murder so that Luke could take control of the organization. Um, the way that's shown is really it's really um, unique, right? It's like it's clever, I guess. It's um we see Theo out, outside and and he's overhearing this conversation. He's looking through the window and kind of spying on them. It never cuts inside. And we don't ever see the direct conversation. It's all from Theo's perspective. And that's what I was saying earlier, how in some ways I feel very close to his perspective because we never jump inside. We, we're we very locked to what Theo can actually see.
1: Yeah, I like that. It's true because it's, yeah, it, it, and it wouldn't make sense to jump in a, in an, in another movie. You might do it. You might do just, it, yeah. Just for, just for the context for the audience member so they understand what's going yeah, on. Because
0: you set up like, oh, this character can overhear and see what's happening now we're going to cut in and do our normal thing, what we would do for a scene. And you just understand that he, they're experiencing a lot of that. But instead, you don't get that. You just get what Theo can literally see and hear from where he's at. That's, re- that's really cool, I think.
1: Yeah, I love that. So th- I think this happened a little bit earlier, but there's a couple of like little stories I really want to shoot through real quick. So in terms of the production woes, Coron and, and his writing partner came to this film um, early on, and I believe it was like two thousand. And they were they were working on it. And Corona, uh, I guess, originally said like he wasn't completely in love with the source material because, as I said before, he didn't want to really make it. He's not looking for like he didn't want the perspective of like rich bureaucrats and stuff. He didn't think mm-hmm. that, that was that interesting. Um, right. And so, so they had been working on it. And then I guess 9-11 happened. And that was like this huge culture shock for or not even just culture shock, but just like international shock. Yeah. Um, and it changed a lot of things. And it made people see other types of people in certain lights and and in different ways. And and he revisited it and realized he wanted to change a lot of it. So mm-hmm. then he's revisiting it and he's trying to pitch it to the studio, and they're saying it's not marketable. It doesn't make. It's it's like too bleak. Like the main character dies at the end. We're not really looking for this. It's not it's not something that we can we can make for the budget that you want to make it for. So Coron has to leave the project, and he goes and makes Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Mm-hmm. So he goes and makes Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. He makes it, everybody loves it, and and it's like a huge franchise film and he's now got a ton of weight behind his name. He comes back to the studio and is like, I want I still want to make children of men. I was just in London shooting a Harry Potter movie. I've immersed myself in like the London culture, like I understand he's like day-to-day, day, I see what's going on there. I really understand like he he really felt like he was able to immerse himself and like get to know London even more, which is where the film would be shot. They greenlit it and he was in the process of making it by the end of it the person who greenlit it and was like very bullish about the film very excited about it left the studio and so there was another there were other studio heads and producers and things like that at back at the studio who once it was done were like we don't know what to do with this we don't know how to market this we don't really understand what to do with it and that's something else that that came across with and part of because the film didn't do well in theaters um yeah and that, and they like they didn't know how to market it a lot of the posters if you see the posters or the trailers it makes it seem like it's much more biblical because they felt like that was the way yeah. to sell it so
0: i uh i went and watched the trailer today just to kind of remind myself and um it is an awful trailer in my opinion it completely misses what this movie's about it doesn't convey anything about it that i think is true to the film that you're going to see it tries to cast it like it's some different movie and whenever I see that in a trailer, I always think that's a terrible—like, that's like the—I I always think back to the the trailer for Drive uh, with Ryan Gosling and how it made it look like it was a Fast and the Furious movie when it's totally not. Um, right. Right. And, and this, this trailer was just a completely misrepresentation of what this film was. And um, I added it to, so on YouTube, um, I have some created playlists on our YouTube channel. Um, and on there, I, there's a playlist called Adaptation Trailers. And I added it to that because I think it's interesting to go back and see some of these trailers. Um, and it's just, it's fascinating to see just how awful that trailer is. And it totally reflects what you're talking about. Like, clearly, they did not know how to market this movie um and it's 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 funny because i think like a movie like this today they would go at it head-on and they would they would say that this is what this movie is and they would they would show it and i think it would be interesting to people in my opinion
1: it's because filmmakers like coron have, have made these films that have like they carry weight because of the people who are involved you know what i mean yeah. like people are more willing to look at who's making something nowadays i think and y- pave the way for people to now i mean Cor- he kind of paved the way for himself he he literally went and made a black and white film about growing up in Mexico and 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 couldn't get it put anywhere other than Netflix. So then he put it on yeah. Netflix and I think he was able to get it in the theaters as well. But it's just this idea that like he was able to get funding for something that's a passion project for himself and and like clearly he got enough funding and look, it went on to win Oscars and and it's so critically acclaimed. And what a like interesting look at, or like slice of life into somebody's a different somebody from a different walk of life than me. Yeah. It's just really interesting to me.
0: And I love to, to hear that um, we can, we can thank Prisoner of Azkaban for this movie, that this movie probably wouldn't have happened for it. That's really cool. I don't know. It's, it's interesting to hear that you have this sort of like children's genre movie that like, although people really love that movie, it's not regarded as like one of the greatest films of all time. Um, right. But then you get this movie because of it, like in a way, I think that's really cool.
1: Yeah. And I just love this idea that he was like, he came back to it. He was that passionate about it. And and like it shows this is this. I mean, it stands above so many other films. And this is the type of film that like really makes you love film, in my opinion. Like this is the kind of movie that I watch. And I'm like, this is why I love movies. If this movie came out, if I went if I could go to the theater and every single week see a movie of this caliber in theaters like that. I mean, that's the dream, right? Like you're just constantly seeing
0: (laughs) maybe too much. Um, Right. But yeah, man, I mean, I said it at the start of this, but like this movie used to be in my top tier. It was like, oh, it's a top tier movie. It's very good. But after watching it um, this time and with with what I know more about movies now and then just what's been going on in the world and and my new appreciation for for this kind of storytelling it has rocketed up to the to the top list right like it's in the top 4 maybe top 5 maybe top 10 probably top 5 is it somewhere like that for you would you would you think
1: i mean okay. i definitely think so i i it's so hard for me to say like top 10 at this point but it's definitely one of my favorite movies which is like i would put it up there with like blade runner and like Fellowship of the Ring and things like that, that I've said on the podcast before are my favorite movies. Absolutely. Yeah. In that like pantheon of like amazing movies. Yeah. And clearly this movie isn't as like fun
0: as, you know what I mean, as other movies. Like it's a dark movie. It's depressing. Um, right. But it's just, it's just such an important movie too. And, and, and yeah. important and well-made in a way, and artistic in a way that I think just really sets it apart. And, 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 it, even, and even though it maybe not isn't fun, it is thrilling and it is an exciting movie to watch. Yeah. Um, speaking of let's get to this next part here
1: well you uh, really quickly you were talking about kind of how how bleak and depressing this movie is and i think that there's a couple of things that i wanted to touch on here because re- the the sort the article that i was talking about from vulture was touching on that with with coron and they're like you called all of these things that are happening there's a lot of pessimism going around and it's like clearly we're in a really rough time and it just it seems like there's no end in sight and he basically said that like although he's very pessimistic for the for the right now he's optimistic for the future which is interesting Mm -hmm. to think about with this movie and i have a quote here that i wanted to read so corona said that he dislikes expository films so like there's a this is the quote there's a there's a kind of cinema i detest which is a cinema that is about exposition and explanations it's become now what i call a medium for lazy readers cinema is a hostage of narrative and i'm very good at narrative i'm very good at narrative as a hostage of cinema Coron's disdain for backstory and exposition led him to use the concept of female infertility as a metaphor for the fading sense of hope. The almost mythical human project is turned into a metaphor for the possibility of the human, the evolution of the human spirit and the evolution of human understanding. Without dictating how the audience should feel by the end of the film, Coron en- encourages viewers to come to their own conclusions about the sense of hope depicted in the final scenes. We wanted the end to be a possibility of hope for the audience to invest their own sense of hope into that ending. So if you're a hopeful person, you'll see a lot of hope. And if you're a bleak person, you'll see complete hopelessness at the end.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. And and I, that's one of the things we'll talk about when we get there. But
1: my view of the ending of this film, I think, has evolved over time. So so, so that we can start getting there, this, this next session, the group makes plans to board the human project ship, The Tomorrow, which will arrive ashore from a refugee camp. Jasper proposes having Sid, a camp border guard to whom he frequently sells drugs, smuggle them into Bexhill, masquerading as refugees. When the fishes discover Jasper's house, the group flees while Jasper stays behind to stall the fishes. Luke shoots and kills Jasper as Theo watches from the woods. The group meets Sid at an abandoned school and he helps them board a bus at Be- to Bexhill. When Key experiences contractions at a checkpoint, Miriam distracts a guard by feigning religious mania and it is taken away.
0: Okay so many big things there. Um, let's back it all the way up to the him being at Jasper's um, because again, we we love Jasper. We see him um, immediately um, taking in key and and ha- the way he interacts with her. and then we get the backstory um, from Jasper where uh, Theo is like just out off outside of the room and he overhears Jasper tell the story of Theo's son Dylan dying um, from the plague and outbreak we hear in 2008, which is one year before the last baby was born. So this is before the, the infertility thing started. Um, and it's just really well done, right? Like, and we see the sadness and we see uh, Theo kind of like having this moment of reflection on it and where he's at now. And um, we also, there's also, a, I thought a really telling scene where Theo's out in the woods, I think gathering firewood or something. And um, he hears the, the, the air coming through the trees and it's like a happy moment, Right. And, and I think he feels like he's doing the right thing here and, um, it's all coming full circle for him. And I think he realizes that like, this is his chance at a, at another shot. And, um, I really love all of that. And then also it's key understanding him and where he's come from and his backstory and, um, why this could be important to him and why she should trust him.
1: And this is that calm before the storm that I was like this this yeah. moment to breathe, this like introspection that happens in, in a a film like this. And this and really we get this this character moment in in the middle of this conflict that we know is coming. They're being chased. We know they're gonna have to try to get to the to the uh human project ship. I find these moments to be some of my favorite moments in, in movies where after the action is said and done, after this is happening, this like moment before the end of the movie. Where where we're able to just sit with everybody, and if you could just pause the movie and like everybody could just stay and hang out and like have a good time. Jasper's having a great time. He's so excited that Key is pregnant, and he's like that that hope that he's always had is there. It's these these moments that are just like pure. They're that's what they are. They're pure, mm-hmm. and I, I always love to like point out those scenes because that's yeah. I think what makes everything else that goes around on around this, these scenes seem as important as it does because we yeah. care about these people and we care about the. We get like humanity, and that's and I think that that's another thing that we'll get into once we see the the attack. But this the humanity that that's in this movie definitely uh, shines through.
0: And uh, we also get a nod to the book readers, I think, in that when uh, Theo first comes up and and finds Jasper in the house, he, it seems like he's killed himself because he has the Quietus box open on the ground, uh, which yeah. in the in the, in the, in the film Quietus is just like a like a a box with like some medicine that you can use to kill yourself with um rather than the whole like doc thing
1: why was he holding that when it when was he, a, he
0: uses it to kill the rats he said like he said oh, oh, i was right, really effective right. on the That's rats or was. something yeah. yeah but it's just it's a moment where you think that he's killed himself um but it actually foreshadows him using it to um have his wife and and even his dog he he essentially euthanizes them both and man what a powerful scene he's, he's playing um what's the song it's uh goodbye ruby tuesday i think yeah and it, he, as he's administering it really really sad and then you get this awesome scene where once again i'm just astounded by how cool it looks and it's very locked on at theo's perspective right like he's in the woods and he's looking down and he's overseeing it and he sees jasper come out and get confronted by the fishes and it never zooms in like we never go down to that happening it's all from theo's perspective um, and we we see him do the whole like pull my finger thing gets his like hand shot and then gets executed and then you hear the echoing of the of the gunfire in the woods um it's just really dramatic interesting way to shoot this scene and man what a what a hero jasper is like he goes out like a champ
1: he does and he and he never loses that that spark of joy and that humanity yeah you know, like he's at the very end, like fucking with these guys. And and like even with the Sid stuff where he's like telling him he's a fascist pig, like it's so fun. That's hilarious. And that's yeah. like to have that kind of that kind of optimism in the face of this adversity. Um, it's commendable. It's 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 definitely brutal, too. It's the, the ringing through the forest actually made me think of something else earlier in the movie when that bomb goes off in the coffee shop. The ringing from the bomb like we continue to hear it for a really, really, really long time. And mm-hmm. I wanted to see what you, I forgot to ask you this earlier, but like, did, does that mean something to you? Is that, that lingering? Well, sure. like there's clearly a reason why the Corona did that.
0: It links up to what Julian says. She has a line, um, about the ringing in your ears is the, is the, it, I think it's, she says like the swan song of the right. cells dying. And that's the last time you'll ever hear that frequency. Which speaking and of, I, think, I,
1: yeah. I heard a little, there's a little bit of ringing in my ears after July 4th and I was like, God damn it. I just killed a bunch of mice yeah my cells in my ear i was too close <laughs> to these fireworks
0: yeah I, th- I think that is i think that is true um i'm not sure if it's like 100 accurate but i i've heard that too and yeah. yeah i think they're i think they're making a thematic statement there because you know you think about humanity dying out and um the swan song the swan song yeah it's it's yep. it all comes together and yeah you hear this ringing throughout uh different times in the in the movie um, yeah, so so next up we get the school, which there's a scene I, I put on our Instagram, which I thought was really cool, where um, Theo and Miriam are talking inside one of these like wrecked classrooms, and and I love the uh, abandoned school as like a emblem for what's happened to to the society. Um, well, just see, and, and
1: the the fact that like it's useless at this point, right? There's no yeah. kids. It's it's yeah.
0: just like haunting. Absolutely, and then you see. Um, they're talking and and the glass forms almost like a teardrop there's a hole in the glass and through the teardrop you can see key on like a swing mm-hmm. and as they're talking about her she's just like silhouetted in this like bright teardrop and to me that was just like such a beautiful shot and you know commend you know whoever whoever did that it was a brilliant idea whether that was uh the the cinematographer or the director I don't know it reminds me of uh, you. You remember that, that YouTube video uh, series "Every Frame in Painting" or channel, I think yeah. it was. Yeah. Um. Just that that phrase, like this that this frame could be a painting.
1: Oh yeah, dude. I and I love that too. There's a lot of people who always talk about like painting with light and and like like yeah, like you say, every frame of painting, and that's exactly the kind of filmmaker that Corona is. Is like he's thinking of every single frame as a painting, and and he's responsible for everything in the frame and you know that's why it's so much more it's so impressive just that to to see like the minute details all the way to the big scale you know battles and everything and the yeah. wonders uh so consistent and so and so uh telling of the of what's going on in this film
0: so t- i want to return a moment to jasper before we leave him behind fully i think he is a aspirational figure in this sort of world um Someone who can who can ma- who can still find joy in life, even with his you know situation where his wife is um, we don't know why, but she seems sort of catatonic and he has to be her caretaker. Um, yet he he is happy, he is enjoying himself, yet he is also fighting for the for what's right and for people. and he's he's defiant. And even though he ends up dying, I think he is an aspirational figure for all of us, yeah, you know, in, in, in these kind of times. I think he he's the kind of person I would want to be.
1: And it's like the it's the, kind of the opposite of what we were talking about with the his cousin who's like up in his ivory tower. He's got yeah. all his money and influence and power, but he's not doing anything about it. And yet this guy who's lost everything is still still willing to fight and still willing to to put his neck on the line for for what's right. And yeah, like you say, that that kind of thing really does ring true for something nowadays. It's like if you just standing by and letting things happen is never going to never going to be the way. And, and like very clearly, I think that that's the message that I take from this. It's just like be as as proactive as you can to, to do the right thing and make sure things are be the watchdog. You know what I mean? And make sure yeah. that everything's done right and people are t- taken care for and look out for the sick and the weary and that yeah. kind of thing. Speaking of, I-, I wanted to include
0: a, a link to uh, a charity that uh, is giving money towards helping Im- immigrant families in our in our country. I think it's RACES, if I'm saying that right. R A I C E S. Um, I'll put mm-hmm. a link in there. Another thing you can do that I I did after watching this movie, I just went ahead and signed up for because I saw it online. Um, you can, if you have a Lyft app and you use Lyft pretty frequently, like I do, around the city. Um, there's a donate button on the left. You go down, there's like a heart and you click donate and you can choose um, organizations and their races is one of the top ones. Choose that and then it'll round up your fare just to the nearest dollar. And then oh, whatever cool. the rounding is, it'll just give it to them. I and like that, that's awesome. Yeah, it's really cool because you you can just happen every time you use it. Um, so yeah, I, I recommend people do that and you know, join us in doing that because I think it's really cool. Um, but speaking of this mentor character, they're, this is a character you see sometimes in, in, in stories. And um, we talked about, I think, in Game of Thrones, um, you know, Ned is almost this character, in a way, um, to his family. And in killing this character, it's always such a dramatic thing, because you're lost now. You, like You lose sort of the conscience and sort of the wisdom, and it forces your characters to have to take on that mantle now. And so when, when Jasper dies... We're left with Theo having to—he has to kind of play that role now because Jasper's gone, and so I think it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's a cool way to force your characters, um, and it's sad, but you're also forcing them through trauma and through the you know the terribleness of your of your of your dramatic story uh, into a position where they have to rise above, and that's what we 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 see next with him. Um, the end of what your your synopsis got to. Is them arriving at the refugee camp, which is one of the most harrowing, impactful scenes in this movie, which in a series of these kind of things. But man, them on the bus and you don't even know what you're getting into. Right. They're heading into the refugee camp. And then all of a sudden um, they see like I think one of the buses is pulled aside and there's people getting beaten by the cops. And then they pass under some like into like a tunnel and then just what you see beside the the bus as they're coming in is just incredibly dark, and it's you see cages, you see some sort of tortures going on, people in black hoods, you see police, you know, beating people, killing people. Um, it's terrifying. And then they board the 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 bus, and then of course, brilliantly, uh, uh, Key starts going into labor. Right, like right as this is happening, the absolute worst moment that she could go into labor, she starts going into labor and um a lot of this is one take i don't know if it's a one but i think there's a couple of cuts but man is it so good And there's so many extras out there that are doing things in the background i don't even know if you'd call them extras but people out there that are performing in different ways and then how scary it is when he, the the policeman takes miriam outside and she just we see her get hooded and she's just gone right she's just absorbed into the into the refugees well uh, man, i think really we're powerful. and
1: we're left to they like kneel her next to the exit she, she gets executed
0: well we don't see it maybe we we, we don't know what happens to her we, we whatever happens to her is bad i can guarantee you that yeah maybe maybe executed maybe they like maybe lined not. her up know. with
1: everybody else to get executed i thought but yeah if that's it's what's for gonna fire. happen to those
0: people but it's unknown it's like there's so much chaos out there you don't know what they're doing are they gonna kill all of them we definitely see bodies so maybe she's gonna get executed yeah um. I, I, yeah, I can see that reading of it for sure. Uh, and I thought, even if I, she's as not they roll away it's going to be yeah. bad.
1: And as the bus rolls away, I thought we hear like gunshots. Like I, I that's like what I drew from it. Is I thought like okay. they they executed her. But I think that's uh, I mean, a valid, yeah.
0: That's definitely a valid reading of it.
1: It's super tough to watch. It's it's really yeah. really brutal and just like thinking, even if it's like one percent. What What's going on in America currently and in, in cages and like not not there's no blankets, no toothpaste, no toothbrush, like all that stuff. Even if it's one percent of what we saw saw in this movie, it's just absolute.
0: Yeah. Oh. That's one percent too much.
1: It's, it's a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, it's a nightmare.
0: And then and then and then you're seeing like I think there's a very strong reference to the Holocaust here because you see them taking uh, Theo's watch and you see these piles of like stolen goods that they've taken from people. And, um, obviously the government's just taking them and like that's showing you the atrocities and, and it's so dark to know that that has, that's in human history that has happened. And, you know, even within, you know, living human beings, memories that has happened. And, uh, that's where this can lead. And so, you know, when people are are getting up in arms about this stuff, it's like, you don't, we don't want to wait until it gets to that point. You want to stop it well, well shy
1: of that. Right. Right. And, And this is showing how far it can go. Definitely. So I'm going to I'm gonna read this last bit here, and we're going to finish up this summary. Let's do it. Inside the camp, Theo and Key meet a Romanian woman, Marichka, who provides a room where Key gives birth to a baby girl. The next day, Sid informs Theo and Key that war has broken out between the British military and the refugees led by the fishes. Having learned that they have a bounty on their heads, Sid attempts to capture them, but Theo kills him with a car battery, and they escape. Amidst the fighting, the fishes capture Key and the baby. Theo tracks them to an apartment building under heavy fire. He confronts Luke, who is killed in an explosion, and escorts Key and the baby out. Awed by the baby, the British soldiers and fishes temporarily stop fighting and allow the trio to leave. Marishka leads them to a hidden boat, but stays behind as they depart, despite Theo imploring her to come along. As British fighter jets bomb from a distance, Theo reveals that he was mortally wounded by Luke. He tells Key how to soothe her baby, and Key tells Theo she will name her Dylan after Theo and Julian's lost son. Theo dies as the tomorrow approaches, and Key tries to wake him to see that they've been saved.
0: Okay, so let's let's back it all the way up um, to when they first get in there, and we get the delivery of the baby. Um, and and I just I love well, well, how
1: before even before if you're going to start at the birth, let me let me jump back to just once they get to this refugee camp, it yep. is like full anarchy like oh, yeah. like ruled by the strongest it's really scary terrifying they have to find they're looking for this romanian woman
0: yeah and you got a woman who's like giving birth right now <laughs> like right. like
1: it's happening like it's so it's so it's so stressful and suspenseful it's, it's wild and to talk about the the production design these like these encampments that they keep going into and everything are so well done so realistic yeah. and just like you got to give it up to the production design it looks like real life. Like it, it's just like completely believable, and and they're like trudging along, and they finally found, and and like somebody like approaches them and tries to like separate them like right away, which is scary. Oh yeah, it's yeah it's wild.
0: It's so it's it's terrifying. Um, and then I, I, I um I it's obvious to me and to us, right? Like what's happening? Like obviously this is a woman who is like having contractions and like, but I love that it's because it's been eighteen years. And everybody has like kind of forgotten what that's like. And then also just like the unbelievability, like no one believes that's happening here of all places. So even though it's obvious to us, I totally buy people not seeing it and not realizing what they're seeing for what it is. Right. Yeah. Um, Which I thought was like really clever of them. And um, there's so much noise. There's dogs barking incessantly, there's all this stuff going off. And I think that's really important to sell the idea that he, they can have this child and not have anyone like hear it happening, right? Which they're able to do. And, um, you know, it's been thir- what, 12, 13 years. And I think that baby still looks pretty incredible that they're able to put put on screen with the CGI. I think it yeah. looks really good.
1: When during that birth scene, when when I'm sorry, I guess directly after the birth scene, when like the dog is like again to talk about dogs, but the dog comes in is like sniffing the the baby and yep. and they're trying to hide it, and Sid comes and in, Sid's and, there, yep. yeah, yeah, Marichka is there, and when they finally reveal the baby, it's so it's so powerful, and then we continue to just see like it, it like it basically brings people to their knees, like figuratively, but like they just like are stopped in their well, tracks.
0: Mar- Marichka or whatever it goes from not really caring to being a full-on convert immediately, right. right? And she immediately identifies that Sid is a threat. And yep. she's the only reason that they're able
1: to get away from Sid from she's him, And right? she's badass as hell, too. Like, she, yeah. she's awesome.
0: Like, hit him with a stick and stuff, yeah. 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 It was like a like a pipe or something. Um, and then, yeah, that, I mean, th- that scene where he's shooting after them, and then he gets hit with a car battery is just brutal. Um, and it's it's, it's crazy, because Sid is like, obviously, he's not a good character, Yet he and his little bit of screen time, they really sell us on like who this guy is and how he operates. And he talks about himself in the third person and he he's fully dehumanized the refugees. Right. Um, And yet. But they made him like a funny character. He's kind of funny. And like you can see how maybe him and Jasper have a relationship and why he's able to use him to do the things. And I don't know. It's really interesting because it's like it's like again, it's like um, the filmmaker isn't judging him really for what he is. It's just showing it. It's like here, this is just this character and this is how he is. And it's Mm -hmm. up to us to decide whether or not we like this guy. Um, Even though clearly by the end we don't, but initially you kind of like him. I don't know. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. I don't know. But very (sighs) interesting. And and in the background of all these scenes, you see world building constantly. And you see, and specifically of this refugee camp like you talked about, um, you see people, like you see these little scenes playing out behind everything. Um, it's incredible, and like uh, we we see um, we see outside of windows, you see stuff going on. You see people scrambling on rooftops, right? Like clearly getting ready to attack something. And like this is just outside of a window during a scene. And then later, yeah, you see the dead man laying in his mother's arms. And then we start another just incredible, you know, oneer that clearly isn't a true oneer because it has a few cuts in it. But man, it's it's.
1: And I think it's the longest one in the movie, right?
0: And it's really something. Oh.
1: Yeah, it's got to be. I mean, in, to put it into perspective, this one is 379 seconds long. So this, is, this brings up another story, but I guess before we get into it, there were hundreds of moving parts necessitating D-Day levels of planning and setup. I think we had 14 days to shoot the whole set piece, except, except by day 12, we hadn't rolled cameras yet, recall, Coron recalls. On the afternoon of the 13th day, they were ready to film. But around the 90-second mark, Corone yelled cut because, as he puts it, the take was just wrong. The reset took five hours, meaning they lost the daylight and had to go home. The morning of the final day dawned, and they gave it another stab. The cameras rolled and the scene commenced. Then, and this is going to bring up something else we need to talk about. Then, camera operator George Richmond tripped and the camera fell. Five hours of reset later, Corone had one chance left. Action. Owen ran. Richmond followed, and astoundingly, all was going smoothly. They got to a a hollowed out bus filled with people through which Theo is supposed to scamper. Suddenly, one of the squibs misfired, and horror of horrors, a squirt of fake blood lands on the lens. Coron, watching on a monitor, felt his world collapse. I yell cut, he says, recounting the moment like a ghost story, but an explosion happened at the same time so nobody hears me. The camera the camera kept rolling, and Coron realized that he had no choice but to let the let it play out, even though he was sure the shot was ruined, and had no idea how he would proceed. When we said cut, Shivo starts dancing like crazy, he says, and I was like, No, it didn't work, there's blood, and Shivo turns to me and says, You stupid, that was a miracle. So Yeah. I, I don't know if you read about it or if you re- I'm sure you saw it in the actual scene with the blood splatter on the lens. Yeah, but it's I did. become and a I, very, very yeah. famous uh, kind of accident within film.
0: Mishap. Yes, I didn't know it was a mishap, but that was one. Like I, I did a little bit of research and then I decided not to because I could hear about more stuff from you. I didn't know all those details. I didn't know how the, him yelling cut and all that. That's incredible. But I had heard that that was a mistake that they decided to leave into the movie. And it's it's really effective. Right. And it really sells sells that whole scene it's a that's again a miracle that's like uh that's the stuff of like movie making legend right there right
1: a hundred percent if the blood lands like if the blood is worse on the lens if the blood like is like blotchy and like covers what like the actual view of what's going on ruin take but it's perfectly like one two three or five trickles like all separated enough to where you can still see what's going on and it just adds like another layer of texture and like Visceral realness to like the one what already what the wonder was trying to accomplish was like bring you into this grounded like absolutely like apocalyptic situation with like explosions everywhere and we're running with Theo and then we get like blood in our face yeah I mean it's in
0: multiple factions at war with each other we see the army just like executing people we see the fishes fighting the army and then you have the refugees fighting uh, the fishes as well and 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 it's like three factions doing battle all at the same time so many moving pieces um and then all, amongst all of that you have theo and 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 um about to be executed by by this patrick guy with his with his dreads and um his scene gets interrupted after he shoots that one guy like it's it's such a cool there's so many crazy things going on and then it moves into i think it's like a hospital like a blown out hospital and um going up the stairs and then all, you know and bullets just like flying through the wall is like the the army is shooting this building right and then they get up to the top floor and they see luke and they have the conversation and then and then he goes to leave and he shoots dia which we later find out is the the fatal shot um but then the baby starts crying and you get the iconic uh sort of miracle scene where all the people just stop fighting and just start just in awe of the baby and then he they walk out the front door and even the army is affected, right? Like even they don't it unites all of humanity in this moment, right? Like it should.
1: Yeah, on a surface level it, it like without even digging any deeper than the fact that like everyone stopped fighting. It's just like this this blatant metaphor for like what the world can be. You know what I mean? Yeah. If we are if we are just united and realize like what we have is so fragile and what we have um is important than like people like people live the same lives every you know what i mean like i don't know where it comes from but there's this thing where you know people say like 90 percent of your day is spent the same as everybody else you know what i mean like you wake hmm. up you eat breakfast I heard that, but if yeah. you have kids you like wake your kids up take them to school make sure they go to school you go to your job everybody's doing the same stuff and yet like people have like different ideologies for for separate you know Cultures or whatever it is and then it and then it leads to like this like inherent violence that like humans have or something It's like Hmm. this need to fight and and like I don't know make groups and and you know what I mean? This like tribal mentality that that we have.
0: Yeah, that's a good point I think it's also really telling that
1: as soon the moment that they
0: get like a little bit outside of it Somebody just opens fire again and then everything just goes right back to how it was Yeah, it's like it can't it can't last because human nature just like takes over Yep, um, and that's kind of the pessimist side of it, right? Like the the, the more bleak view of this. Yeah, um, and then we get so we get the the final scene here of them getting on the boat uh, with Mariska's help. They leave Mariska behind, um, and they they set out on the boat and uh, for the human project. And this this haul is completing Theo's arc. And Theo's Ark is is going from a man who doesn't care and is disaffected and isn't invested in the world anymore to someone who cares deeply and has a a mission and has uh, a cause that he believes in. And um, it's also, in my opinion, one of someone who has – learns to have faith in um, humanity again, I guess. And he dies after – after Key tells him that she's going to name the baby Dylan, or that she has named the baby Dylan, and he dies then, not when the boat arrives, and I think that's important because I think he died. He dies not knowing whether or not it's successful, but he believes it is because he says they're going to come. Like if he repeats several times, he's like they're going to come right. because in, at this point he believes that. And then I think when it comes full circle, and he feels like his. His he's gotten his second chance, right, mm-hmm. with well, with this new child, and and um I think that's I just think that's really powerful and really brilliant and and something about the ending that I I don't think I fully appreciated the first time, how this character has come full circle now he's he's completed his arc and he doesn't need to see the boat because he believes that it will be there,
1: yeah and I think it, he got some of Jasper's hope he got some of that optimism, yeah. he's back and he's reinvested in the world um and something that i wanted to point out that i was really engaged with this one this time was the for all the atrocities going on the only reason they make it through is because of the kindness of humanity strangers people along the way with ill with bad intentions who don't know what's going on somebody like sid but it is humanity that gets them through it and so it's like yeah. the good and the bad and you know Marishka is, is a great example of like someone who just like immediately knows the importance and immediately is selfless enough to do whatever she yeah. can. This movie shows the
0: capacity of humanity for both great and horrific things at the same time. Right. And, and that's that's incredible. Whenever you can do that, I think it's really powerful. And um, yeah, like I said, I think this movie is important. And if you haven't watched it lately, I recommend it watch this movie again because it's I think it's it's a it's a great film and I think it's important if I haven't
1: said that enough <laughs> yeah I mean definitely I, I am love I am in love with this movie and I will watch it again soon it's just like I said it's one of those movies that it makes you love movies and and you'll go you know I'm gonna go down a rabbit hole and just like start watching a bunch of stuff that I haven't seen before and and tr- start to try to appreciate even like even from a technical perspective or a story perspective, like just just what Corone was able to accomplish and like not even including the story story related stuff, I guess, just like go see his influences, go down that rabbit hole and, and like see what makes this film so, so uh, close and and so effective at, at like drawing such like extreme emotion.
0: Yeah. All right, man. I think we should stop it there. We're getting definitely long here. Um, I do want to go ahead and announce our next project, which is going to be a bought and paid for uh, token paid for project. Speaking of the uh, the jukebox uh, option we have from our patrons, this is going to be uh, Dr. Strangelove. And our actual next episode is going to be about a book called Red Alert, which is based off of, which I did not know for a long time that that movie was based off a book. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm excited to dig into that. And you don't need to have read the book. Just check out our episode. We're going to talk about it. We're going to fill you in on the book that was the inspiration for Stanley Kubrick's Dr. Strangelove. And then we'll be covering the film after that. So we hope you join us for that next project. Another iconic movie, right? Uh, in cinema history so
1: another of my favorite movies to uh continue saying (laughs) that it's just like director right (laughs) right yeah we keep we cover some great stuff and and like i feel like we've been able to cover like a lot of fantastic some of my favorite movies and from some of my favorite directors so i'm looking forward to this one and and it's really cool that that a patron was able to commission it and yeah buy the tokens and then and then yeah now we're gonna cover it uh speaking of patrons we want to thank
0: uh let's thank let's thank colton um he's he's one of our friends over at the Watch Review Repeat podcast. Um I know he likes this movie, he loves this movie, and they just hit their 100th episode uh recently, so congratulations to them. And I think um if everything works out, we might be joining them for a podcast here soon. Um so definitely pay attention to their podcast Watch Review Repeat. But um yeah, thank you to him for supporting our show. Uh he's a patron of our show and we really appreciate it.
1: Connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram all of those adding to film and definitely join our council of Inklings because we post polls over there for potential projects and, and we kind of post whatever adaptation stuff we see coming out in the news. So check that out.
0: It's always fun to follow adaptations as they're coming about and as they're getting announced. And we definitely post lots of cool news on there. And this project itself was voted for by, by uh, people on the council of Inklings. So good place to be. Um, Also, if you'd like to help this podcast out in another way that doesn't cost you any money at all, a rating and a review. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us one. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you in that form, and it helps the podcast.
1: We'd like to thank Jennifer DeLazana for providing our transcripts, and thank you to Ross Bugden for the use of our intro and outro music.
0: All right, man. I think that's everything. Um, I'm excited about 100 episodes and everything between now and then. Definitely check out our social media where we're going to outline what we're looking for with listener engagement and, and the recordings that we're going to ask for. Um, but yeah, man, I guess that's it for now. I, I love covering this with you. I think it's been a lot of fun. Uh, well, thank you for joining us in this project.
1: And until next time. Thanks for listening.